Hello and welcome to another episode of the Midiera Meets podcast, the deceptively monthly music podcast where we speak to a wide range of people from the music industry. I'm speaking to Tim Axel this month, which is a huge honour. Uh, he's a musician, a performer, improv superstar, sometimes singer, key masher and all-round top bloke from the future. Tim has worked on a huge number of projects. He's released his own software. He performs on a piece of software he built back in 1066. And he's worked with a huge range of artists, released on some huge record labels, and continues to form live and entertain and delight his audiences. So, I caught up with Tim earlier on this year in his London home, Londinium, and we spoke about his career and his influences, and this is sort of the unedited version of what happened. Tim Exile, thank you very much for coming on my podcast and letting me around your house. Mr. Midiera, you're very welcome. Thank you for coming around to my house. Thank you very much indeed. It's great to talk to you. Ah, it's great, yeah. Despite the technical errors <laughs> that are already incurred. Yeah, so it'd be good to talk to you about where music started for you and um, your early memories of music. So, early, me- well, there are early stories, kind of pre-memory, that, that, that my mum tells me, apparently. So, we, um, I grew up in this little house out in the middle of the countryside in the Cotswolds, or the Knotswolds, as I was described, it's not quite the Cotswolds. Um, and uh, it was, you know, this, this old farm has a small old farmhouse and uh, uh with a road going past it and i used to apparently I used to sit there and just just get mesmerized by the sound of cars going past and really? i think like a, <clears throat> it was like an av show for little kids <laughs> um and uh, i think it was just, you know just mesmerized by the sound and you know i still actually like i still remember that sound because it it was in a valley um and uh and the road would kind of go up and down hills, so you get this weird sort of phasing effect as the cars would disappear. It's really kind of ethereal. I mean, you could imagine it um, being used in some kind of like track on erased tapes or something like that. Yeah. Um, so that, but that, I don't know. That's that's more of a story than a memory. But um, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, well, another story um, my mum tells me is so I played the violin. That was that was basically the first thing. So apparently, I. I brought a letter home from school, age four, um, that said, uh, you know, and that funny, that funny kind of like copier ink, that, you know, really sort of faded but blue. I don't know, I'm old. Oh, like a carbon. Uh, yeah, like carbon, carbon, carbon. Yeah, one of those yeah, carbon yeah, copy yeah, things. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. That and it was something like, well. does your son? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the old gang. Uh, it was like, would your son like to play the violin? And, and you know, she sort of opened it and looked at me and said, you don't want to play the violin, do you? Because apparently, I'd just say. Um, no to everything. Do you want to do this? No. Do you want to do that? No. Don't want to do that. And I was just like, yeah, hell yeah, I want to play the violin. Nice. Um, So I, yeah, um, learned to play the violin for a bit. Um, I think it was probably quite quickly got into like the reality of the scenario that is, um, I think what I wanted was I didn't want to learn to play the violin. I just wanted to be able to play the violin. Right. Yeah, I can understand that. Um, so, yeah. So, so I think the, uh, the the learning part of it became pulling teeth. But I did stick with it. I did stick with it until I was about about eighteen and was sort of uh, cut from the apron strings and didn't didn't have to uh, or didn't you know there was no pressure to play the violin anymore. But mm-hmm. so did did that kind of kind of on and off. You know, fought with my violin teacher and. Um, 
my par- my parents' musical interests are, I mean, with a few exceptions, basically stop at the sort of the turn of the 1900s. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd never really heard any kind of like pop music at all until I was 11. Absolutely. Um, my parents are the same. It's all right. medieval music is what I hear when I go back to my Right, yeah. <laughs> and it's great. I mean, it's such, it's such great... It's such great stuff, but it's kind of, in a way, it, it sort of, um, you know, when I did, well, the first thing, the first thing I kind of like, well, discovered in inverted commas, uh, because everybody was discovering at the time was, you know, grunge and Nirvana and, and also some of like the indie stuff. Mm-hmm. When I was 11, I was just like, oh my God, this is, this is amazing. And there was like, there was a band, like some of the sixth formers, I don't know what it is year 12 these days in real terms, but anyway, mm-hmm. <laughs> there were sixth formers back then. And, um, uh, they they had this band. They're called the Trivial Things, and I went to a Trivial Things concert. Um, and they'd like hide in a proper. It was in the school hall, but they'd hide in like a proper decent sound system and a sound engineer, and that. it was proper loud. And yeah. it was the first time I'd heard music any louder than like seventy five dB, <laughs> and I was just like, you know, just uh, I, yeah, just complete like neurological fry up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and. Uh, and then shortly about, about you know about sort of six twelve months after that, someone handed me like a bootleg rave tape, and uh, and then I was just like, wow, this you know it doesn't. What are these instruments? What are, I mean, I I just heard, you know, I'd heard about raves and I'd heard about this whole thing, and I had but I had no you know the the context in my mind was just completely imaginary. I had yeah. no yeah. real frame of reference for like what rave or the rave scene was like. So I built this kind of like mythical utopia basically around this sort of sonic world but it was just like you know as soon as I heard that stuff I'd say yeah this is this is my life like whatever my life is going to be about is going to be something to do with this stuff well that's an important tape do you remember Um, who gave it you or how yeah well it was on it maybe it was um, so well um, uh, a guy in my class a friend of mine called Matt Hall had an older brother quite a bit older Stu, who was a DJ, and or or had some decks. I mean, basically, when you're at school, that's you're not really a DJ. You just have some decks. Yeah. But, but oh, you, you are know, a D- in your head. You're in your head. Yeah, you're a superstar. DJ. DJ. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, I think I think actually the first the first tape was just some sort of. I think it was actually fairly mainstream thing. It was like a compilation, mm-hmm. but then then I went down. There was this local kind of weird sort of trinket shop that did things like um uh, sort of tie-dye trousers and um band t-shirts and jostics jostics yes. yeah yeah <laughs> and um and poppers um but then they also had this like rack of um kind of rave tapes and things like fantasia and obsession oh, and... yeah those big 18 tape things yeah well i think it was actually it was kind of it was a bit before Oh, did they have them? Uh, I just remember there being like individual tapes. They just had individual tapes. Anyway, it was, yeah. there was one rave from 1992, like September 92 or something in Donington Park. And uh, it was a tape, um, it was a Groove Rider, I think. Groove Rider on one side and uh, some other DJ on the other side. But but anyway, and I, I, just, I was just like, right, I'm going to find out about rave and got this tape. And I was just, you know... The, this is obviously before the internet and before Spotify and, da, 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 yeah, and that, was, yeah. that was literally all I had. I had a Walkman and I had maybe like a tape of Dire Straits. Um, I had a, a Nirvana Nevermind and I had like this rave tape and like obviously Dire Straits and 
the um, uh, oh. and, and Nirvana never mind they, they just didn't get looking after that <laughs> yeah. so I just got I got taped to... over with more rave yeah exactly yeah, yeah yeah well I hadn't even discovered like how to like de-copy protect tapes so it was literally it was no option just like well, okay you've got this rave tape <laughs> it's like that forever honestly yeah. <laughs> can't change yeah, you can't change it yeah <laughs> so um, so yeah I, stu- I, I studied that that tape for like three or four months I think literally like just night on night sort of listened to that one brilliant rave tape um, it was huge, wasn't it? Like the '90s was such a fruitful time for music. There was mm. music emanating everywhere. Like the grunge scene was huge. The indie scene was huge. The rave scene as well. Yeah, I I think mm. I think I share with you that idealized view of what rave was as well, yeah. having not really known it or sort of been yeah. there. Um, definitely, I can totally relate to that. Yeah. Well, it's 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 like. It's like what, you know, what drugs are like if you've never taken drugs. Or before, I mean, you know, most people who have never taken drugs have like decided they don't want to. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, like, as a, also as a kid, I kind of imagined, like, drug experiences would just be this, like, amazing transcendent experiences, and then you do them, and maybe sometimes they are, but then they're all sorts of pitfalls as well. Drum and bass has been was sort of quite quite uh, prominent, wasn't it? And you were like early earlier stuff. Yeah. Well, um, I was actually pretty kind of eclectic um, up until up until I went to university. Well, I mean, I probably had like two years of uh, dabbling around with making music. Well, maybe two or three years before I went to uni. What were you using to make music? Uh, well, so the first stuff I did. And this, I mean, there are some recordings somewhere. I think was. Um, the school recording studio that had a uh, uh, Fostex R8 reel-to-reel 8-track. Um, cool. Big old Soundcraft mixing desk. Um, and at least this Microverb. Um, a Juno 106. Good. Um, and, and I bought off the like the clarinet teacher. The clarinet teacher said, oh, yeah, I've got this synth. Um, I, don't, I never really use it. I mean, I bought it from a while ago. It seems a bit rubbish to me. You can't really get it working. Do you want to buy it? Yeah. I mean, I bought it for like three hundred quid, but you can have it for like one hundred and twenty quid. Or, um, and it was a, it was a sequential circuits Pro One. Oh no! Oh, <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's so. so I had that. Was it like, oh, it's rubbish. You can't do chords. Yeah, it's rub- you yeah exactly. Yeah, you can't do chords, and you know, there's no velocity on it, and the keyboard feels shit. And it's just like, eh, yeah, I'll take it off you. It's probably broken. <laughs> and it was like mint condition, mint condition. Such a great synth. Oh man, such a great really? synth. Because yeah. you could put the fil- um, because it's got the audio in. Um, so I just did loads of kind of dub stuff. I'd kind of go into the, cause I, yeah, I had like a proper live room. So I'd go in like play bat, you know, play some drums badly, um, for five minutes and then play some synth badly for five minutes oh. and then just do some weird kind of loop back, like putting it through the, you know, loads of feedback loops basically with the pro one through the filter and, nice. um, and then the, um, the microverb, uh, and, and then the, like the EQ, the sort of had swept EQ on the Soundcraft desk that so you could kind of do. Some fun stuff like that, but it was—I mean, it was awesome. shit. There was no arrangement to it at all. It was just yeah, dub mixing. That's cool, though, isn't it? It's like a very lo-fi setup. What you've got mm. there is really high-quality components. Yeah. Without a sequencer, but that's yeah. that sort of makes it really fun because you you sort of become your own sequencer by adding yeah. the echo and and um and and the t- and using tape loops. Yeah. Wow, yeah. that's great, man. What it's, it's access actually, to 
Sorry? Access to two great synths really early yeah, on. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, two yeah. Two of the big ones. Yeah, two of the biggies. <laughs> but it's weird, it's weird actually thinking back because like then um, that setup was like really crap and suboptimal because he didn't have a sequencer. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but nowadays it's sort of come full circle, you know, and, and now everybody's throwing out sequence or everybody's throwing out kind of like, re- you know, composition as a, as a sort of like A to B um, musical form. Yeah, and there's more. No sequence is a more you know another instrument that kind of lives within, you know. I'm obviously talking about Eurorack and this whole kind of hardware revolution now. But that that approach, that sort of dub style approach to things, where you, you're you're performing an instrument, mm-hmm. is much is much more current. But at the time, I just felt hamstrung, and I literally I tried to make um, I tried to make like house tracks, <laughs> <laughs> like '90s house tracks, using oh and they had some like Casio keyboards that had. They had like quartz clocks in them, so you could lock the t- you could lock the times quite easy. So I had oh, the classroom downstairs. I'd, I'd go and get like six of these Casio keyboards, <laughs> stack them on top of each other, um, cue them up on different like demos or, or drum beats, and then like press play on them all at the same time. Have them going through the desk, and then nice. uh, and that was like how you got like electronic sounding stuff. That's brilliant. Um, <clears throat> now, interestingly, I, I did find in a charity shop recently the exact keyboard I had in school GCSE music. Wow. And I was like, oh my God, it's got the helicopter, it's got the <laughs> yeah. waves, it's got all yeah. those things, I remember. I didn't remember yeah. anything about how to play it. I yeah. like, whoa, this is the one. Yeah. <laughs> it's really amazing. I mean, again, it's weird, you know, thinking back, like that, then it just all felt like crap. I was just like, oh, I really want a sampler and I really want a sequencer and I really want like all these sound modules. And, and, and nowadays, like everybody wants those old Casio keyboards and nobody wants like the sort of the weird emu mofat yeah <laughs> um, yeah the rack stuff rack stuff or, yeah. or or you know everyone's getting a bit tired of sequences and looped this and sequenced that definitely and and also the lo-fi thing is interesting isn't it because in mm. the 90s it was like the cd had had arrived and it was really high fidelity yeah. crystal clear audio yeah. everything was getting remastered even the films were getting remastered yeah. for the audio and now everyone's sort of degrading their sound yeah. ripping stuff off youtube like the the clarity is not what people are looking for anymore is it yeah well i, I guess it's a <clears throat> you get to a sort of point of diminishing returns with with clarity i mean you know the quality of um like the quality you could a sound system you can get for 200 quid these days the quality of that is so much better than it was 20 years ago mm-hmm. um and you know the quality of headphones the availability of headphones and like everything is really high quality and then it's sort of because you know, back in the ni- back back in the nineties, you kind of got the feeling that everybody's trying to make do the best they can to make like pretty shit speakers sound good. So that's why the production values went up. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. to kind of make you know really kind of get the best out of that. But now you know you don't really need that. People are looking for character rather than quality. I think yeah, that's yeah, yeah. that's the impression I get. Yeah, cool. So you studied you studied philosophy at university. Yeah. Uh, how is that and does that influence do you think that influences your music at all um i mean i didn't really study philosophy at university uh i went to the lectures mm-hmm. but there were only six hours of lectures a week so um i spent the rest of the time making making tracks and stuff like you know i had a little setup I mean, by that time i i had a um i had a pc and uh cubase and had an emu sampler and um like one of those Yamaha digital mixing desks. So I had this set up basically in my, in my room at uni. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I just spent all my time uh, just making tracks really. And then, you know, occasionally 
do the the sort of um I mean it was definitely like MVP and my my degree, minimal viable product was it <laughs> like, yeah my, my degree I mean it did that's great I I managed to get a two one in the end because oh, in the okay. final year the um we did a dissertation I did I did my dissertation on the difference between music and noise oh wow um and I got well into that. I was just like, yeah. this is great. And so I got double first for that. And that just kind of like rescued my <laughs> otherwise very mediocre performance. <laughs> that is almost exactly what happened to me at university. Mm. Almost exactly the same. I, yeah, I sort of struggled through it and didn't really work very hard. But my final year project, I made um, a PlayStation controller, which was a software effects unit. Wow. And everyone else for their final year projects was doing like, we're doing like studio acoustics or uh, yeah. designing a three-channel mixer yeah and so yeah i did the same thing pulled all pulled all the three years of bad work yeah. back, back in on the dissertation yeah it's amazing the power of something you love yeah I mean, you, you know yeah definitely what, what you'll sort of pull out the bag when you really when you really fired up about it yeah i'm sure as well though did you find that going through doing philosophy that the there were things that applied to music and applied to making music throughout that yeah, definitely. So I did, I mean, after I did the philosophy degree, I went on to do a master's in electroacoustic music. Mm. Um, you know, I like to think about things, you know, I like to, um, I like to look outside, because I, I guess with, well, with any, well, with anything, it's very easy to get just kind of um, really absorbed and um, kind of consumed with the minutiae of like the medium or or, or the culture or the scene or whatever and, and those those kind of like quite contingent cultural facts um become quite like set in stone mm -hmm. um and i think you know having done philosophy it definitely gave me the ability to think um how to use a well to use a horrible cliche but to like think outside the box <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um uh and yeah to think outside what what seem to be you know the constraints of a scene or a genre or a piece of equipment or or an approach or mm -hmm. whatever yeah well yeah i mean from for me listening to your drum and bass it it doesn't it's certainly not someone who's come from the angle of building a template for their track yeah and at 32 bars the drop happens you know it is yeah it's totally um yeah it's very different i mean yeah your releases on moving shadow for example huh. They yeah they don't to me they don't sound like the standard generic sort of drum and bass sound I know that's not what Moving Shadow is about but yeah to me I think there's there has been an element of yeah thinking outside the box in your music from from what I've heard yeah I th I think it wasn't a conscious thing I mean it was also why I never made it as a drum and bass artist <laughs> uh, I, I think like I really and I really genuinely tried I really um. I mean, one of the re one of the reasons I sort of ended up going down this drum and bass route for what was it was kind of happenstance in a way because I was at um, I was at university in in Durham and um, the year before I left no the year before I started um, John B drum and bass uh, um, illustrious drum and bass man, illustrious man of drum and bass <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, he he was he was there and, but he he still came up to run his drum bass night in, in Durham so I, I met him and I was just like I was making all sorts of stuff at the time I was making house stuff I was making trip hop down tempo <laughs> drum bass jungle like weird shit I was making bits of everything and so I thought oh, okay I'll make a jungle I'll make a drum and bass track and I was actually writing with a, um, a, friend, a friend of mine who was 
on the philosophy course as well. He's actually now a songwriter and went to went on to write. Ah, uh, what's that hit by Ellie Golding? Well, Ellie Golding's breakthrough hit. Anyway, he wrote um, that. I can't remember the name now. She me. did a couple. Starry eyed. Starry eyed. That's it. Yes, he wrote so he, that. He wrote that. Yeah. Wow. That was um, a big. That was a big. Track. That was bigger. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. 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 She's now she's now the UK ambassador for Pantene hair care. <laughs> Sorry, I, just, I saw that on a website and I just had to tweet it and just like, oh my god, how things have changed for you. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. UK ambassador. Well, actually, so. joke because I mean they actually approached me, but I turned it down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah totally. Yeah, I totally see you. Yeah. Good decision, Tim. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I think it Stay just would strong. have. I think it could have like damaged the Tim Exile brand a bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, so yeah. Basically, we, you know, me and Johnny um, decided like, okay, let's let's just like try and make a drum and bass track. And and so I mean, he's more like instrumentalist songwriter, and obviously it was drum and bass. So eventually, it was just you know, he'd sort of be sitting there, and I'd be like the controls, and it was just he was just like, uh, why don't you just do it by yourself? I was just like, <laughs> yeah, I, that, yeah. Yeah, he's um, a great producer, John B. Like he's, um, yeah, yeah, he's obviously produced some phenomenal tracks, and he's sort of responsible for that trance and bass sound. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, he totally. I mean, it was quite because I was, I was in. Um, I mean, he really sort of mentored me through the, um, through the process. Well, so so basically, you know, I, I gave him this demo um, that me and my friend Johnny made um, on a, on a tape, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and it took it took him like a. Few, it took him like a few months to listen to it, and I'm like every time I saw him, <laughs> you listen to that tape, you listen to that tape, hi John B, hi John B, you listen to that tape, uh, and then, uh, and then one time, one time I asked him, he said, oh yeah, I should do that, actually, yeah, I'm, I'm launching a record label, I was just thinking, yeah, I might like to release it, and at which point I practically shat everything. <laughs> uh, actually, it was really funny because it was in this, it was in this club, um, where he ran his drum and bass night, and Johnny was there as well. And I actually, I was just so, I, I was just so like kind of, that someone was actually going to like release a record, you know, this whole, this whole like glamorous future opened up before my eyes, you know, being the incurable narcissist I am. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I went, I like found, I went and made a beeline for Johnny and just like grabbed him by his hand, like pulled him out into like the lobby of the club. To tell him, and the bouncers all the bouncers all like descended in, thinking like it's going to be this massive fight. fight. Almost got kicked out <laughs> of the club. Like, Johnny, Johnny, Johnny's going to release a record. <laughs> you also, I mean, you've released on Moving Shadow, which is a mm. that's a tremendous achievement. <laughs> on its own, isn't it? Really, such a heralded drum and bass label. Yeah, it's like the the label for so many drum and bass people. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, yeah. It was, w- was that your bad diet EP? Was that the one? There was, but yeah, there were two. There's a bad diet EP, and then there was Don't Forget X. Was that? An e- yeah, that was an EP as well. Don't Forget X EP. Yeah. Well, they're going to add this side, this side label, the MSX EPs, and I think they were trying to. Um, you know, push some kind of more, you know, off-center sounds, mm-hmm. and I definitely tick that box. <laughs> <laughs> um, not just 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 through my complete inability to like keep the program, <laughs> rather than any any sort of particular contrived. Yeah, I guess I yeah, I don't know. I wanted to do things differently, but 
Mm. Well, that it's it's really strange for me to hear that the the bad the track bad diet mm. because I have an old set uh, from Toxic Dance Hall that you oh, did, yeah. and it's in the first five or ten minutes that track. Uh, but the live version is so good. What? Yeah, it's amazing. It's a set that starts off, and you you say in the mic, um, it was from Toxic Dance Hall, and you say. I love it when it all fucking works, yes, mate. You what works, fucking yes, mate. You what works, fucking. So that's the beginning of the set. Like, uh, there's some weird, really fast break. But then I will never forget hearing that tune for the first time. That bad diet, the the live one. Right. Wow. I mean, you've the bass in it is so good. And obviously, there's like a big break in it as well. But right. um, wow, such a great track. Yeah, mental. I mean, the the I mean the mix the mix that like the production on it is. Horrific, like the amen is just like <laughs> every single transient has been like meticulously removed. <laughs> but um, yeah, I did have I had a lot of fun making. I was actually that was the first that was the first track I ever used any of my own software on. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all the, there were all these little kind of breaks at the, at the, end, at the end of the bars at the end of each phrase. There these little yeah, and those were little little effects things that I programmed. Um, Cause it, yeah, because it also sounds like you hummed the bass line for that track. Oh no, maybe did you do that in your early live sets? Did you like have a mic that was play- that was hooked up to a bait something playing yeah. bass? Yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. Yeah. So what what were you building those in? That that was in sync modular, which was uh, it then got bought. So reactor core is basically sync modular. I see. Right. So they bought they bought. Um, Vadim out, Vadim Zavalishin, mm-hmm. um, who's just like crazy Russian genius, like absolute. I mean, he's just he's on another planet uh, with his genius, um, and he designed this whole system, and then Native bought it and kind of put it in Reactor as this kind of like low level layer where you could program your own D- DSP. Right, I didn't know that Native Instruments had bought that. I always thought it was their own baby. That's incredible. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That, well, I think they kind of, you know, they kind of bought him. Um, so, uh, because he'd invented this whole kind of like real time compiling, um, DSP engine that is core. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you released on moving shadow and, and later warp and planet Mew as well. Yeah. I was oh, such a freaking label whore, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> You've chosen the best label. So. Well, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, I was in my 20s. I was really pushy and, uh, you know, pretty narcissistic, pretty ambitious. Um, I kind of, I'd set these, you know, I'd set these goals. I was very, very, yeah, just quite driven. Like even, Mm -hmm. like at school, I remember, you know, within about six months of starting to produce, I'm just like, right, within the next three years... I want um, I want one of my I want John Peel to play one of my tracks really on, that, on his radio that's show. a very yeah. specific time yeah really, yeah yeah good. and it happened really yeah wow, yeah well that was actually with the um you know I mean a lot of that's down to John B really because you know he he um you know he paid to have a sort of press you know for a press person to do to do press for my releases and and John Peel liked them picked up on them I think I think I think he did hear I think he did hear that there's something different going on in them so that's incredible I, I just imagine John B just posting these UV envelopes with <laughs> like all the fluorescent colours everything he does is like disco electro looking thing yeah well it wasn't I think 
I'm sure it wasn't like that, but I'm just imagining his yeah. cartoon character, John B. Um, <laughs> yeah. The sort of envelope he would think about posting. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's yeah. brilliant. Wow, so you got played on John Peel. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, R.I.P. Um, but yeah, really, really sad when he died. But but yeah, I did, you know, I did. And I, I, I met him as well. I, so, like, Sonar, 2003. This is in my, in my kind of pushy days. As if I'm not in my pushy days anymore, but... You know, I think when you get a bit older, you realise like how much of a dick you look when you're really pushy. So you just sort of like really? become pushy in subtle ways. <laughs> yeah, um, like, <laughs> that that's really weird that you describe yourself as pushy. I I would never have ever put that to to you. So I think yeah, your your online presence and your the presence that you have is very good and very likable person and not someone oh, who's pushy or over domineering or anything like that oh my well my uh, well, clearly my marketing machine is working very well <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah well I mean you know I think I've, I've, me- I've mellowed out a, a, a bit but I, I don't know maybe maybe also, also I'm sort of painting myself in bad light I mean you know I'm, I don't think I've ever been an arsehole through mm. and through but uh, but I've definitely there, there are times I was just, I just kind of like you know if you want you know in your in your 20s I was in my 20s in the late 90s. No, I was in my early 20s in the late 90s. No. Well, anyway, we're talking about the late 90s. And, um, uh, you know, then you had to, you really just had to pursue record labels. I mean, you, could, you, don't, you couldn't just, like, plop something in the post and and then, and then, and then like, yeah, and then, like, the test pressings arrived back. <laughs> you know, yeah, like, yeah. Um, Here it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, I, I don't know, it's... It's a funny one. I mean, I'm I'm kind of um, it's something I'm having to work with a lot now. I mean, I've, you know, I'm, I think as like the pattern, the, the sort of habits and the habits of mind and the patterns that you develop oh, in in your twenties and so on. This kind of whatever it is, it's it's when you get to your late thirties and forties that you really start to like reap what you sow. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, it's always mixed. It always you know you have some positive consequences and you have some negative consequences. And uh, I think at the moment, you know, I'm. Uh, um, as I told you on the way, uh, when we were walking here, you know, I'm, I'm working on this mega, mega, mega project. It's well, it's a startup basically. I've been mm-hmm. working on now for like three years and it's got gargantuan project. but, um, uh, you know, the responsibility I've taken on doing that is just, is, is insane. And I had quite a big burnout last year and mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that kind of, that's the darker side of being ambitious and being driven and so on. And, and, you know, the the the, un, the underside the thing is that a lot of the time the underside of or like the flip the dark side of ambition is kind of like needing to prove yourself and you know it all goes back to early childhood experiences and like yeah. how you're brought up in your family and mm-hmm. you know the love you didn't get and the trauma you had and so you know everybody has and every everybody's shaped in different ways by those early experiences but yeah, a lot I mean my you know my um uh you know my ambition is definitely has some unhealthy sides to it uh, and um uh and that you know it's something i'm trying to work with now because that funnily funnily enough i found that as like the more ambitious i've got like the less helpful my the, the drive behind my ambition is in actually allowing me to achieve those things that i decided i want to achieve i see well, it's sort of an becomes, interesting observation yeah it becomes um because it it, it becomes you know, I've definitely begun to be able to realise like how much I'm just trying to prove myself, you know, prove my worth. Um rather than uh, look at like 
okay, what is this thing that I'm trying to achieve? And how is that useful to people? How is that helpful to people? You know, what's that going to, what's the impact that's going to bring in the world? And, and not, you know, trying to separate like the glory of Tim Exile from that. Um, mm-hmm. And I, th- I think like the more, the more, the bigger the stuff that I take on, the more I realise that, oh shit, I have to, uh, the only way this is going to work is if like my ego and the glory of me steps back from this. <laughs> um, because, you know, one of the things, one of the things I'm, you know, kind of working with at the moment is, you know, I've all, I've always been like a very self-reliant, very self-willed kind of solo guy. Um, and I've, you know, I've kind of made things happen myself. I've toured around myself. You know, I'm a solo artist. I built this entire music making system myself. Mm-hmm. I built these products myself. I launched a, pro- pro- a plug-in label myself. Yeah. I wrote, you know, I, I just kind of like hustled this deal with Warp Records myself and, you know, it's all very, very self-willed and self-reliant and so on. And um, and I am shit at asking for help. I'm absolutely <laughs> monumentally shit at asking for help. And it's getting to the point now where that's actually something that I really need to work with because, it's, yeah. you know, it's becoming detrimental to the project I'm working on and, right. and so on. How about so. if people offer help? Because there's a very British um, mm. cult, um, like sensibility, the British thing to do when someone offers to help is to say, no, 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 it's fine, mm. I'm fine. You know, yeah. this is a very automatic, only British response to help. Yeah. Um, do you find that you're able to, is that something else that happens? Because I find myself doing it all the time when I see people doing it. Yeah, or just like going, oh, no, people no, no, offer no, to fine. help, and you go, no, yeah. no, it's fine, no, it's okay, I'm, I'm okay, no problem, and then you're just having a meltdown. Yeah, so, oh, it's never <laughs> yeah. gonna work. Yeah. <laughs> what am I gonna do? Yeah, yeah, no, it is. It's it's totally like that, and and you know, looking at some kind of the you know the sort of psychological mechanisms behind that, like what you know, there's a hot, there's a, you know the big helping of pride in that, you know, and um, you know the, the the threat of well, on one side the threat of kind of being weak, you know, you know, you think. Well, I do, you know, I get in these states. I mean, what, what generally happens with me is I'll, um, uh, I'll, I'll work on, uh, there's something that needs to be done. You know, as now as like the founder of a startup and there's four, there's like six of us in the team really. Um, mm. and, but you know, I'm the guy, mate, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm leading it. You know, I'm, I'm yeah. also like the main investor and I've, you know, I've, financed it um, in large part up till now and what I tend to do is um, think that the only person who can make this happen is me uh, and then I go in this like hyperdrive mode and the thing is the thing is that like I'm quite effective when I'm in hyperdrive <laughs> um, and I can actually make shit happen um, but uh, it's always a bit like RSI of the mind you know what like when you can you, you won't like with RSI, you only really realize that you're in trouble until it's too late yeah. because you can work through the pain. Mm-hmm. And, and that's something that that's something that I definitely do. And that's something I really need to work on. It's like just muscling through this pain um, or muscling through, muscling through difficulty and being in the hyperdrive mm. um, and, say, and yeah. making shit happen. Um, but then at the end, like as soon, as soon as there's like a pause or a break, like um, all that, all like that suppressed anxiety and all that, um, uh, all the exhaustion just like comes out, takes over, and it comes out in like weird ways, you know. I, mm-hmm. I, yeah. It's good to recognize it. I think that's the important thing that you recognize it, and then you can start to make changes to make it uh, more workable. Yeah, yeah. That's what that's like. This whole process I'm in at the moment is 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 that, which is 
challenging in its own right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sure it would be a huge success. I think everything you've released uh, has been superb. The you know all of the all of the plugins that you've made have been immense amounts of fun. I know people have probably seen them on uh, Sonic State. You did some great mm. talks with Gaz. Oh yeah, Gaz and oh, Sonic State talking yeah. through all of them. Um, yeah, you know, and, and your flow machine as well, which, as you say, you single-handedly created. It is a phenomenal, phenomenal performance tool. It's a bit of a beast. <laughs> it's incredible. Um, you, you performed with it at CERN, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. On, uh, for, as a TED Talk? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, with the stage invasion. Yeah, how did that feel to be performing there? Oh, yeah, that was meant, that was meant, that was just one of those, you know, one of those, like, universe aligning uh, things, just... I, yeah um i mean <clears throat> it was a really good day and uh, you know really good talks really really good vibe and the, the whole thing was just incredibly well organized and then um uh, and then so i just i kind of played at the very end of this day when everybody was just like just ready to like get up mm-hmm. and uh and dance and then you know lo and behold like 10 minutes later <laughs> stay all this like crazy sort of break dancing going on it was pretty yeah it was pretty cool. I was, yeah, I was pretty kind of, I was, yeah, I was fighting about the tears at the end. Really? Tears, the well, tears of joy. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah you know, something yeah. like that happens. It's just quite like, wow, you know. It, you def- I definitely felt like. It's an incredible moment. Like, yeah. 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 Some sort of, sort of portal had opened up. Yeah. Sometimes that happens, doesn't it? You just, yeah. I've, I've spoken to other people about having, uh, yeah, what is conventionally called an out of body experience when you either mm. meet someone or you're in a situation and, I'm sure that was one of those one of those moments. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one of those kind of peak things that happens you know, once every couple of years. Or yeah. I've got one question here, which is what what appeals to you about improv instead, as opposed to say releasing conventional music what what is it about live improvisation that appeals to you yeah well there'd be no i mean that that's changed like um i think originally originally i was just like um well going back to those days of the you know the bootleg rave tapes it, it felt to me you know because i i came in well i came into um, that experience, you know, that listening, I, I came into hearing that as a violinist, as somebody who plays a musical instrument where, mm. um, you know, with a violin, you put the bow on the string uh, and you move it and it makes noise. And when you stop moving, it stops making noise. So that's my kind of like baseline conception of what music is about, where it comes from. So when I heard this electronic music, I, I, I was already, even at the age of 12, I was hearing this as something that could be performed live. And I was uh, you know, which led me into DJing, and then I very quickly realised that DJing was not perform was not the kind of performance I wanted. Mm-hmm. Which led me to make the flow machine, and and that and that was you know where I could actually play electronic music with my hands and be you know be be really physical with it. Yeah. Um, so when did when did the flow machine start? Where, where where did that? I know it's I know it's grown into something big and beautiful, and it, it's. I, I wouldn't so say beautiful. <laughs> big. <laughs> Sprawling. Where, where did it, have you got like a patch that was like, oh, that was the first one that was the beginning of the flow machine? Um, yeah. Well, the, so there are kind of two. There have been two incarnations. The first, the first one was this thing called Mental Deck, 
um, which was basically, well, it started out as a DJing tool with kind of like hyper-editing, you know, really hyper-editing? What do I mean? Um, but I made this thing called the Key Masher. Yes, Key right, Masher. Yeah. You made that in 1066, I believe. Yes. According to your YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Incredible, yeah. really. <laughs> I know. Time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it was, yeah. I mean, um, very early days back then. Very early days. Uh, yeah, so the key, yeah, the key masher, um, that was the first thing. And that was actually, I mean, that was a, that was definitely like um, a schoolboy fantasy. I mean, you know, I was quite, I got quite into jungle when I was like 14, 15. And, um, you know, all the cut up breaks. I was just like, wow, this is amazing. And that felt something like that you should be able to improvise that. Mm-hmm. You should be able to like have breaks on your on your fingers and kind of mash them up and do re-trigger these edits, things, yeah. re-trigger things in real time. Which of course nowadays, like you can. I mean, that's like a totally normal thing to do. But in 1994, was like a completely unheard of thing to do. Yeah, I mean, um, without doing it in a sampler and programming all the MIDI beforehand. Yeah, like that's the only way yeah. of doing it. Really, wasn't yeah, it? Exa- yeah, exactly. Um, so that was the first thing I made. It's like a, a tool for you load a break up and then you can kind of re-trigger all these different trigger points and do what people now call like flux mode stuff and, and so on. Uh, and then I was like, okay, that's cool. Um, we can do that to a break. So let's do that to a track. Um, so you can play a whole track through and then mash up different sections. I was like, that's cool. Why don't we have two tracks you can do that with and have a crossfader so you can DJ and mash stuff up. I was like, that's cool. Okay, let's have a drum break thing so you can put some drum breaks in on top. That's cool. How about we have four tracks? Oh, that's cool. How about we also like, um, live sample into those channels and then be able to mash up the samples. That's cool. How about we have effects channels and then you can put the um, live samples through effects and then reboot and then remash them up, and then and then it sort of you know then it just like b- ballooned into exponential this exponential growth. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then and then the mental deck just fell over, um, sort of on its knees. Uh, yeah. To well, I just didn't know how to program stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, d- I had no idea of like good programming practices yeah i think that's the thing you learn about programming because i've used max msp for years mm. and you learn that there's an efficient way to build something and there's just you know you you build something one time and you're not thinking about efficiency you're thinking about functionality yeah and then you come back to a patch years later and you go well that's using way more processing power than is necessary for the calculation that's happening yeah 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 um or everything is just like in a big sort of spaghetti mess oh yeah 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 do do you can you do that in reactor can you have like segmented patch cords so you draw them all around each other no yeah that's where max msp's got so good at like helping you as as a as a user yeah um but reactor's brilliant too i remember playing around with reactor having so much fun yeah it's i mean it's really great it really is great and i've 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 like lost so many hours to to reactor um it's yeah it's really really powerful i I kind of uh i i miss i've got um i mean i've just my my time is like completely spoken for at the moment which is really annoying but when i do get moments to kind of think about stuff i've got this whole uh like composition system that i want to build Mm -hmm. at some point that i'll probably do in reactor but i mean that's gonna it's not gonna be in the next two or three years cool um that I just good. love, yeah, the, this actual just sort of, yeah, just, re- just really, what's really great about stuff like Reactor and Maximus P is you can really, you can really just think, you can think as far as you want. 
yeah. and, and you can build you can build anything and you don't you really don't have to be constricted um yeah absolutely it yeah. literally is a blank canvas you're limited yeah. you are limited by your own imagination more than anything else with them yeah yeah definitely yeah. definitely i mean that's a really that's a really nice thing about reactor is it's quite kind of dialogue you definitely feel when i'm programming in reactor that it's a dialogue mm-hmm. you know you're, you're trying things out and you're kind of thinking you can think through stuff in reactor mm-hmm. it's similar you know it's similar with with coding i mean i've never i've never done any um text-based coding to speak of mm-hmm. um but uh you know i've seen a lot of people do it and then you know how they approach it i i think i think it's quite similar the thing the thing is when when you get when you get really into reactor into doing like really deep stuff um, it would actually be a lot quicker to be programming in a text-based language like like C plus plus. Really? Because you have yeah you have yeah. to. There are so many workarounds. Basically, when you need a really bespoke data structure to do something specific, whether it's like handling loops or um, you know passing audio around, sh- you know sharing audio in across multiple areas across a patch or um, uh, or especially kind of uh, you know event handling stuff. Then you really have to build bespoke data structures, and what you and and the process, the things you have to do to build those, mm-hmm. you could do in C plus plus, and actually C plus plus has much more um, stuff that would you know like pointers and smart pointers and all this kind of stuff that will help help you deal with data arrays. Whereas in React, you have to build if you want to have a pointer system, you have to make a pointer system in React. Right. <laughs> Before you can start building the thing you actually want to build, mm-hmm. but th- this is why I build these things because the the um, the synths that you that that these that were made in the eighties they're just not programmable like the DX seven and the TX eight one Z and and all the other things like the FBO one for some reason has just been this thing that I've loved programming because it's so difficult and it's so mm. weird. Yeah. But I just want to nail it and I want to make the best editor possible for it so you can yeah. finally. Uh, do all the things that were possible on it 30 years ago yeah. no one's ever done because yeah. it's impossible to program so yeah I've, I've got a bit obsessed with the FBO one Um, one thing I wanted to ask you, and this was just something that came to me on the train, and mm. it was just like, yeah, I don't know the answer to this, and I really want to hear what you what you think. Why does mashing up loops and chopping them up and re-triggering them and pitching them, why does that sound and feel so good? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Um... um... Why does it feel so good? Why does it feel like? <laughs> Why does it feel so good? Um, there's some. I, I think there's something to do with kind of uh, like the the complexity because what what you're doing when you deal with sample based stuff. Um, so let's say well let's let's um, um, as a counterpoint let's use like synthesis. Mm-hmm. Um, synthesis is very controlled and quite mathematical. Um, unless you use something like FN, um, where where you you know you very quickly get into like quite complex sidebands with with not that much kind of fancy routing yeah, of yeah. of uh, oscillating you know, carriers and modulators and so on, but you know subtractive synthesis you've got you know your square wave or a saw wave and then you've got a filter and you subtract, 
um, things, and then you can add modulation. But you've got you've got this very, um, it's a very kind of like incremental progression of complexity that you get with uh, with synthesis. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so you know, as you add modulation, you can hear the sound getting more complex. But but the 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 it's very kind of like one to one the work that um, has to be done to make a synth that sounds complex. All the the different LFOs and different env- envelopes. And each time you add something, whereas with with glitching stuff, because you've already got you've already got the sample there, which has and, and samples are inherently very complex. That's what's cool about samples. They've got all these kind of like little you know the character of the sample is 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 changing you know every every frame of audio you know, every, yeah, um, yeah. it's very you know if you kind of broke it down but if you look you look at the spectrogram of a sample you know an fft um spectrogram you know you can you can see you can just see there's so much complexity yeah fragments of harmonics that just appear and yeah disappear and... yeah exactly and 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 i think you know as as uh you know inhabitants of the of the real world you know we're used to um we used to things very quickly getting into um sort of untraceable complexity like for some reason the image i've got in my head now is is you know walking where well, you know it's a wet and rainy day today and you walk down roman road to get here so i've got mm. a picture of like the number eight bus like driving through a puddle um at the side of the pavement and mm-hmm. you know the sound the, the the motion and the sound that comes from that is you know it's very so you've got this very simple motion you know you've got the you've got the harmonic motion of the wheels and the rotation of the wheels you've got the forward trajectory of the bus you know you can kind of mathematic you can kind of purify that mathematically quite simply right you've got bus um going in direction mm-hmm. um you've got wheels turning um at a uniform speed um and then it hits this puddle um and then you're into like crazy laws of thermodynamics <laughs> um uh, sorry fluid dynamics and um uh, and then you know, and the drops, you know, like the tread on the tires will make the drops go different ways, and 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 the sound that you get is really complex. But it's not just noise; it's not just white noise. It's not like it's sort of like it's got this whole like, yeah. and, you know, as, uh, and it's just so much like the it's really it's it's fractal, like the complexity that comes out of it. And I think mm-hmm. that's um, when you start um, dealing with mashing up mashing up sample material like material that's already quite complex from the world, you know, uh, or or that's been bounced down from audio that's already been sequenced. You know, you've got something that's already got a lot of complexity in there. And then you're using um, techniques that sort of multi- exponentially multiply complexity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's just the results are quite, they're quite unexpected. You can't, you can't really, you know, whereas you could, you can write mathematical formulas to uh, predict how how a synth or let, let's say a kind of like perfect digital synth will render a certain sound but yeah. very hard to do that with samples just because there's so much complexity and i think our, mm-hmm. our ears like that i mean we deal with complexity yeah yeah it's a good answer thanks <laughs> <laughs> nice little riff <laughs> yeah yeah because i've never thought about that and i just sort of thought why is it so good have you ever used just out of interest have you ever used renoise the daw no so good yeah so good for cutting stuff up yeah it's brilliant i guess i'm i'm a hands-on cutter upper yeah that's my like my whole mo of like cut uppery Mm -hmm. um either either that i I, either hands-on or just like completely composed like in pro tools Mm -hmm. just 
making every single thing, every single chop do exactly what it should do. Finessing the finessing, it, finessing yeah. the automation. Yeah. Like when you've got like thirty channels of automation on a track. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Cool. So how about how about things like uh, found sound? Are you into recording stuff? Yeah. I mean, it's something that. I've never done I've never done it extensively but it's something I'd really like to do. I've got <laughs> I've got this like imaginary retirement where I'll just just do really self-indulgent stuff. <laughs> um and such as like building an entire composition uh environment. Uh and another one is uh I've got I've got designs on doing um I, I I want to like get back into composing, but composing it as AV. So doing doing audio and video and doing because mm-hmm. I quite you know I've messed around with making videos and, and stuff like that. I find, I find it quite fun. And, um, I'm a big I'm a big you know I'm a big nature fan. I love I love being out in nature. Um, I've developed a bit of a sort of relationship with the north of Norway in the last couple of years. Um, up in the Arctic Circle, so go back there a couple of times, just kind of like walking and. Wow, skiing and it's oh, stunning. It's, it's just I don't know. There's something, there's something very uh, unexplainable going on there for me. Absolutely no, I know exactly what, what you mean. Scandinavia is a, re- a place really close to my heart, and we used to go skiing in the north of Sweden. Right. Uh, yeah, two thousand three, hmm. and yeah, I have such a strong affiliation and, and connection to, to Scandinavia yeah do you get on with the climate yeah thing? I like yeah I mean I'm, I'm not I'm not a hot climate kind of guy summer stresses me out I yeah. mean I love spring I love spring I love ch- I love like chain you know I love the whole like new life um but uh but what you know once the, once the hot days have been around for more than like a couple of weeks I'm just like oh can, can we have some winter now please? <laughs> yeah I'm exactly the yeah. same seriously I'm yeah. exactly the same people are like well, why do you like the winter I'm like, I love the winter Great. yeah I, it's like yeah. overcoming adversity that's what it feels like to me yeah you know? yeah it's, a, it's it's not an easy thing to do but it's it's rewarding and it looks beautiful oh, it's, yeah stunning yeah. yeah I lived in Siberia as well what 2013 I lived in Siberia wow which was yeah I mean the yeah, it was an amazing eight-month winter that was just, yeah, it was incredible. It was, like, really mm. incredible time in my life. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, I love the cold, too. I love the cold yeah. climate. That's proper cold. I mean, where I where yeah. I go in Tromsø uh, is, I mean, you know, it gets down to minus 10. I mean, it's 200 miles into the Arctic Circle, but mm-hmm. because it's it's basically right at the top of the Gulf Stream, so, so it doesn't get ridiculously cold. But it's oh. still, you know, the wind, yeah, everything is frozen all the time in the winter, but... Yeah. It's not like minus forty. It's just minus ten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, There's something about the Scandinavian people that's amazing. Really, sort mm. of loving and helpful, kind people. Yeah. The food's great, isn't it? In Scandinavia, yeah. when you can afford it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And like everything's made well. You go to people's houses, and like everything's like really good quality. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, yeah, and I think they do have a strong connection to nature. Um, yeah, like you were like you were saying about doing the f- the found sound stuff they do have that yeah totally well um it's one of my friends in uh trumps pair pair martinson traders mental overdrive who's like he's been i mean he's like 53 he looks about 40 i mean um but you know he's been doing stuff for ages he's a good friend with um biosphere um who uh, you know he's a big big figure in the whole ambient and um ambient 
such a casual term, but that, he's done he's done a lot of you know recording kind of ice flows and and stuff like that. Wow. And what I'd, I yeah I'd love to just do I mean my kind of my ideal day in this like imaginary retirement where you know I never have to work again and da 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 da, da um, is you know I'd go out in the morning um, go hiking with like uh, you know some really nice mics and a really nice camera and a really nice um, sound recorder and just just go you know two hour hike on my own beautiful fjords and mountains and and just you know record record some really nice like locked off shots of beautiful nature and uh, and then come back to a studio and then um, uh, you know kind of like process the audio and also process the video I've got got some ideas of like um, some sort of video processing um, algorithms I'd like to mess around with at, at some point um, but you know this is all in this imaginary retirement it's brilliant I think that's an amazing uh, thing to do to have this imaginary retirement thing where it's like what you what you want to do when you know you're not going to want to program everything I think that's really mm. good that's that it sounds like a really idyllic idea that it sounds well it is an idyllic really idea cool. I mean it's uh, it's not reality <laughs> <laughs> maybe but you know it's, it keeps me going sometimes in, yeah. in, the, in the darker moments I'm like, oh, I have a hut on a fjord Exactly, fire burning. Yeah, fire burning. yeah, nice log burning stove, and um, and I'll I'll have a Tesla, <laughs> you know, all these kind of like weird sort of spurious desires. <laughs> <laughs> jetpack. Yeah, jet. I have a jetpack. <laughs> done a lot of collaborations with people um notable ones with uh sheriff sheriff hashizume hashizume yeah which you yeah. did um him, him on the modular and you on the flow machine yeah yeah that, that was down so he, he now lives in um felix no not felix though uh folkestone um but he um for a long time he was living in london he was working at the uh, studio where John Hopkins studio is and actually, actually I borrowed John's studio to do the IBM track because he's got a proper mixing environment rather than my sort of punk ass um, <laughs> just like put some put some speakers in the bedroom um, but uh, yeah I mean I've worked with Sharif quite a bit I mean he um, while I was touring more he, he used to come around and um, he used to come along with me and do sound he's a really good live sound guy mm-hmm. Um and uh, and of course you know he's doing his modular thing which is sort of quite you know he's yeah it's just really kind of taking off I think his his whole modular thing so we did a um yeah we did a, like uh three sixty camera angle jam thing that you could sort of uh so yeah um yeah collaborated with Sharif I think someone who's always for me been. Like you and Beardy Man, yeah, 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 have yeah. always just been like the British representatives <laughs> for improvised live Improv- music. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And and there is a jam of you playing at Fabric. Yes, on, on YouTube. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, we did. Um, I think we jammed together. Before. There were a couple, of, a couple of things. Because when when I was touring, more, you know, we'd sort of often end up in the same place. So, you know, he came came on a couple of times. Yeah, we did. We we kind of meet up. We had this sort of funny, uh, uh, 
I don't know, we sort of run into each other and then plan to do something. And then I think, I think we've, my, my, my sense of it, but we've both just got all our own ideas of like all this things we need to do. So yeah, yeah. we're a bit like, it's a bit like herding cats. <laughs> <laughs> but it does work really well. I mean, the combination, mm. I think for anyone on the outside is like, wow, Tim Exile and Beardy Man, they're like the two, they're both, they're both like at the peak of their game doing like sort of live electronic improv. Yeah. It's like a super group, <laughs> almost <laughs> the two of you together. So it was great to see, uh, yeah, great to see you two working together and, Sort of doing similar things, but doing yeah. you doing very much your own thing. Yeah, it's, it's quite it's quite distinct. I mean, Dan yeah. is. Um, I'm always just consistently impressed with. Uh, I mean, he's he's such a good performer. You know, with the comedy stuff as well. I mean, it's it's really uh, it's it's really impressive. You know, um, I kind of uh, I always sort of wish I had a bit more like shtick, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think I, I've I've. Um, Got, yeah, I think recently I've got more into just like just doing doing the music kind of you know in inverted covers like letting the music speak for itself yeah um, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah which can uh, well obviously it relies on the music a lot more <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, which some you know that's the thing with improv it's like sometimes it can be good sometimes it can be bad definitely it's definitely. very much you know it's as much down to the audience as it is down to the performer and you know what kind of mood I'm in and Mm-hmm. how kind of receptive I am how receptive the audience is and yeah I think that's the beauty of what you do because uh, with improv music it takes a lot more guts to, to go up there and, and just improvise something mm. um, you know and I think that's where you get the magic of those performances when when it does all just click yeah you've got something working yeah Th- that's something that you don't get with a more conventional performance yeah sure oh yeah definitely definitely but I mean it's a it's a it's a hair-raising experience. I mean, I think, um, you know, one of the reasons I, you know, I, after, the, after that Warp album, after kind of like touring that album, I sort of made this conscious decision that I was just going to do improv and not, I wasn't going to write tracks anymore. I think my idea was I'd, I'd kind of build a, a, a real sort of like career as an improv artist, but it, it doesn't really, um, it never really worked out the way. It's not, it didn't quite work out the way I'd imagined um, and it's quite hard. It's quite hard to interface interface with the music industry because the music industry expects repertoire, and it expects catalogue, it expects uh, you know releases that people can buy and then listen to, fall in love with, become really accustomed to, um, and then go and see that stuff kind of uh, t- um, kind of realised live in a in a venue, mm-hmm. and that's not what improv is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, people expect like the CD replication to yeah. be the live performance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whereas what you're basically sell- selling them is a dice roll. It's like, come along, pay, I don't know, whatever ticket prices are these days to um, come and see something that might be shit. <laughs> it might be amazing. Um, and, you know, it, I think I think it's a sort of, as an entertainment proposition, um, it's, a, it's a hard sell, especially when you're doing improv in, in, a, in an area or, or a genre that, isn't really used to improv. I mean, I think my, you know, my kind of like militant idealist was like, let's make dance music an improvised, an improvised medium, mm-hmm. thinking that that like that could be a one man task, <laughs> uh, which it cle- you know it clearly isn't. It needs like a massive cultural shift, and I think that's beginning to happen now with the whole modular thing. But you know, when I was trying to do it in two thousand five, everyone was just like, 
you freak. <laughs> <laughs> apart from you know, apart from like a few people who really got it and were really interested. In- yeah, I think that's where where it happens though. You know, you're saying it's like a roll of the dice to people. Mm. There are people that are willing to take that chance to see performance after performance to get that yeah. to get the magic. But yeah. yeah, you're right. Modular is modular. Modular performances are sort of taking over a bit, and um, and that is more of a it's less of a structured thing than just pressing the mm. space bar for Ableton to just run through yeah. run through your track. And then tweaking a filter every now and again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, um, uh, interestingly, I talked to the guy who runs Thonk. I don't know if you know Thonk. Yeah, the, I know, yes. Like the, the modular yeah, yeah, yeah. retail outlet. Yeah. And he said something amazing that had never, never come into my mind before, that, that playing with modular, and I think it, your, your stuff also falls into the same category, um, it's sort of like it doesn't require resolution like conventional music mm, 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 and mm, it mm. feels more like you were sitting down playing the guitar in your room mm, mm. than you know the other other ways to make music yeah I mean th- this is exactly where I'm at with everything <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah I mean you know resolution in music and you know A to B music uh, that, that follows a timeline um, that that is then uh, recorded and sort of set in stone and or pressed on vinyls or you know saved as a file and then distributed. Uh, I mean that that is. Uh, um, I mean it's a very it's a very important thing. It's never going to go away, uh, and it's a great it's a great format. Um, but we've lost um, through the sort of. I mean that's what music is these days. When people think of music, they think of. Uh, I, yeah, either like a, a thing, a playlist on Spotify or, you know, or, or a vinyl. Or, but it's all stuff that has a start and has an end mm-hmm. and will always sound exactly the same between that start and that end. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that, I mean, music has only been like that for the last may, well, maybe, maybe 150 years. Um, and even before that, before we started recording sound, there was notation, but even you know, notation is very much open to interpretation. Um, and but you know, most music was just a real. It was a phenomenon. It wasn't a product. It was something that that happened that was ungraspable. It was ephemeral. Um, you could remember it and recall it and reproduce it, but in the reproduction, you'd be adding, adding you'd be adding something new to it. So it was something yeah. that um, there was an element of a of a conversation to it there was an element element to um uh, uh where, you know it was just an activity that, and, and everybody was involved in it to some extent you know you go to a Kaylee um and there'd be the musicians but um there's a very very sort of fuzzy boundary between like who is playing in the Kaylee and who isn't and who's da- you know who's dancing and who's singing and mm-hmm. um and you know this uh, as uh, as that um, the shift started to happen, like early uh, in the early nineteen hundreds, um, every household had a piano, um, and that you know everybody would buy sheet music and everybody would learn to play the piano, and that was that was the thing. Like everybody, there'd be a musician in the house, like uh, unless you were kind of like you know really really poor. That that was you'd gather around the Joanna, <laughs> and someone would play. And you'd have a sing along, and it was it was a very um, it's a very dem- democratic thing, and it's something that, that happened in the moment and then stopped. Yeah, yeah. And we've and that that is that is gone. But I I think that I I think like my prediction for the next twenty thirty years of music is that um this 
um, this new space, this like lost, the sort of Atlantis. I mean, this is the Atlantis of music, basically, mm-hmm. like real time music that has no resolution um, is going to come back massively. Uh, and I think, I, I don't know, my, my bet would be that it, it's going to be at the level of like social change. Really? Well, yeah, I think, yeah. Sort of everybody making improvised music across the board how 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 do you visualize it happening well i think every, so at the moment what the way music is you've got you've got um you know a to b music um that's perfect and finished and and, and um above that you know on top of that it's all a very high standard and it requires a huge amount of skill to get there right so mm-hmm. um one of the reasons that there are you know, relatively so few kind of proper musicians in the world. People who you could go to up and into this, go up to in the street and say, "Are you a musician?" You know, most people, like more than nine out of ten, like probably ninety-five, ninety-six people out of a hundred would say, "No, I'm not a musician." Uh, yeah, absolutely. Even probably some musicians. Even some musicians would say, "Yeah, yeah, exactly," because really everybody's comparing themselves to this very, very, very high bar. Um, and but the thing is, with you know, with music that doesn't have a resolution you've got there's just so there's so part of that high bar you've got the quality but then you've also got this format like if it's less you know if it's less than like two minutes long it doesn't really count as a piece of music and it if it's not like mixed really well it doesn't count as a piece of music if it doesn't have various different sections it doesn't count as a piece of music it doesn't have all these different parts it doesn't mm-hmm. count you know da, da, da. yeah um so but you know you think about the experiences that everybody has as a kid with music you know like the box of percussion instruments in the in the classroom and everybody can get an instrument out and everybody can play something whether it's a triangle or the shaker or the tambourine and maybe there's some kids in the class who've learned to play an instrument and can do something a bit more but you're all there playing together and you're all having a musical experience um and you're not holding yourself up to any bar at all you're just enjoying that experience right, yeah. right then and there yeah, yeah. um and there, there isn't really um so much of a boundary between listening and creation it's just something that um it's it's open plan mm-hmm. like listening the you know the, the 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 household of listening and creation is totally open plan and you you just you don't really know whether you know am i creating this or am i just like playing along or am i just listening it's just you know you go between those just in the moment whereas definitely, definitely. and how it is nowadays is that um uh you really have to take a massive leap to go from listener to creator um, nowadays. And uh, is, yeah. Is that, would that be the ideal then? Like something where it's accessible? Because I know you've talked, you have talked a couple of times about like, yeah, uh, I think in one of your TED talks, you're talking about the making it accessible, the flow machine, for example. Yeah. Because when you explain it and you do it, it's easy for people to see yeah. what's happening and how it's yeah. happening. So. I guess yeah. Then it's making software and and things music making more accessible to people, isn't it? That's going to make that happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think so. You know, there's there's a there's a whole lot of chat in the music tech industry at the moment about like democratizing music, like who's going to make the Instagram of music and da 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 da. Um, uh, you know, almost to the point of it being a bit of a cliche. Um, mm-hmm. But I never I, thought about the Instagram of music. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. um, but, you know, this idea of democratisation, because it is, you know, it is still niche if, in comparison to, you know, the number of people who listen to music and have 
um, you know, have a relationship to and understand music, which is like the majority of the of the population of the world, you know. Yeah. It's really rare when you meet someone who goes, I don't like music. Isn't yeah. You? you meet that person like once every 10 years. Yeah, exactly. You just like don't listen to any music at all. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's odd. And, um, but I think that the, the thing that gets in the way um, of that is the, the solution that a lot of people think about is, okay, we have to make it easier for people to make tracks. Mm-hmm. And that is not the solution because, um, that that is the problem. <laughs> that's why that's why we're that's why we're here. I mean, um, you know, I'd say the future of music is joy, not tracks. Um, tracks are, are inherently hard, um, and if you want to um, make that process easy, then you're going to trivialise the results. So, I mean, it's you're not you're not onto a winner. I feel slightly responsible for some of that myself. <laughs> <laughs> But that's, I mean, I'm having you know, no part in it. <laughs> yeah, but that's no. I think I, I think it's um, you know the the sample industry is is important, um, and you know people being able to just kind of just layer loops together um, to to get some sense of creative agency is important because you know that that might be the first step for some people, and that might be enough for some people. You know that might be what they want to do. Definitely. Have Have you seen what Korg have just released? Korg have just released something for the uh, Nintendo Switch. Switch. Yeah, gadget. It's like a four-player. It's a four-player DAW that's that you can play on your TV. Um, right. Oh, I didn't realize it was multiplayer. Yeah. Right. I, I, yeah, I okay. saw the video. Was it uh, yesterday or today? And um, like, wow, that's yeah. that's interesting. Yeah. But, it, but it, I think that is cool when you can when you can work when you can make music together using unconventional instruments or methods. That's always like yeah. fun. Yeah. fun thing to do isn't it it's really fun it's really bonding I mean you know, it's sort of uh, it's one of those experiences that can really like gel groups of people together because you, you're outside um, you know it's sort of kind of common knowledge nowadays that like what we what we say in conversation you know the, the, the sort of li- linguistic content of what we say is not really what makes us form the bond it's all that's all the kind of like irrational post-rational emotional you know body language and stuff like that that's yeah. the stuff that that, that bonds us and that you know that's mm-hmm. very much the domain of, of music so aside from the flow machine which you've made you've released a uh, loads of great pieces of software over the years um uh, for native instruments and uh and uh, of your own um lots of them relating to parts of the body do you do you plan, <laughs> yeah. do you plan to go to any other parts of the body no no i think i think that uh that that meme is uh has spent now i think um so the first one was the finger that was 2009 which is uh um it's like effects a live effects processor that you can play on your keyboard uh so each each key is a different effect um and it's got this fun little kind of rooting thing that it roots the effects in the order you turn you press them on the key so you mm-hmm. you could do pretty heavy mangling quite quickly yeah. so the mouse was one after <laughs> that that was about that was a uh, just over a year later um and that's a, a kind of like uh, well, it's not just voice. You can fit. You, well, it just takes audio in. It takes voice stuff, um, but you can also feed drums through it. And it'll do kind of 
sensible, I say, in inverted commas, uh, sensible-ish stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a sort of, the mouth is, the mouth is a, a kind of like a cut and shut of various different things. So it's got like an auto-tune algorithm in there. It's got a harmonizer, it's got a vocoder, it's got a voice synth. Um, and it's got various sub-synths and then um, some effects and processing, but it's all in kind of squished into a quite noodleable with uh, interface, which is very, it's very hands-on. Um, mm-hmm. And that, uh, yeah, the mouth was a great, a great success. That was really, that was, that was a bit of a high point, uh, not least for the video. Um, that <laughs> and was... the big, big mouth that you had yeah, well, the big object. Oh, is that it? That's oh, it. fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing, yeah. Still there, ruling the roost. Um, yeah, well, that you know, that basically the mouth paid for the uh, um, down payment on this flat. So, uh, no, well, that the mouth, that the mouth, mouth, that mouth, that I mean. mouth there. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> basically, yeah. Took bloody ages to make flesh. Really? About three years, I think, at the end. Spent a long, long time on it. Um, but yeah, all the all the uh, the DSPs, yeah, um, fresh. Fresh DSP cool. for that project. It's so good. I, did, I, I made a little a two joystick XY controller oh, for wow. it <laughs> that I was messing around with. And yeah, it's, I, I think what's good in, in Flash for me is the visual the visual feedback you get with yeah. it. You know, the way it's like it builds the wave, the yeah. waveform around in the circle. It's just the icing on the cake, you know, because you can hear what it's doing, but also to see it in such a vivid. Yeah. beautiful colors i think it's a really great product that really yeah good. i mean the the uh the the um interface designer from that f Eflin, um who who works at native he's i mean he's he's phenomenal um and uh he actually pushed me to go i think in the the, the prototype the, or the kind of first version that i took to to native had um linear waveforms mm-hmm. um and uh and Ephraim was just like, oh, no, I really think we should have circular waveform. It's just like, what? <laughs> Are you crazy? But then, uh, you know, it took a lot. It took a lot of tinkering around to get that work. But I did eventually get them get them working. I mean, yeah, a lot of hacking of... Because Reactor's graphics are you know, pretty rudimentary, really. Mm-hmm. Especially for doing kind of real-time stuff. and uh, or, or doing, you know, sort of rendered-y stuff. Um but yeah, I'm really glad. I'm really glad that Eflin pushed me to do that because, yeah, they do look. It looks amazing. I think so many people have probably thought about how they can render uh, audio as a as literally a visual loop. Yeah. Without like making it look stupid or tacky, but the, yeah, uh, yeah, he absolutely nailed it. It looks yeah. so good, and it like responds to all your changes that are happening live. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's a, a really really great piece of software. I've had many hours of fun. Oh, cool. Messing around with that and. And, and and you can it's so easy to send CCs to you know yeah. it's not something where you need to dive in deep right, to, to yeah. find where you want to be you just, I yeah. think you just right click on it and say CC14 and then bang it's there yeah yeah, which is really really cool and so and then you have a, your website which contains lots of things beginning with the acronym SLO uh, well there's yeah so we've got um, yeah so well the first one was slow which is um, this kind of mega, mega long reverb. That was, it was such a fluke thing. It took the whole thing, took me three days. Really? To, to, um, in, in total, yeah, to, to build, the, build the algorithm, do the interface, make the video, do all the launch marketing stuff. And it was, three, it was a three-day project. 
Nice. Um, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> which started, yeah, which started, started on a long haul flight. Actually, from that IBM project, I was flying back, I think flying back from China. Um, and I was just like, oh, I'm going to mess around. I'm going to mess around with a reverb and try and make, kind of learn a, get, learn a bit more about how reverbs work. And then I just got really into it and kind of made, put in some more diffuser de- delays and, and tried, just tried to make it like a really dense, lush reverb. And just like, hang on, mm-hmm. what happens if you make, just like, make the reverb time like times 10? <laughs> um, and then, uh, and then just kind of like made this thing. I just thought, oh, dear, I'll just call it slow. And then do this like video on the, there used to be a piano there and just like, call this piano. And then it, it went kind of viral. Yeah, um, it was great. It was, it was a yeah. genius idea. It was just a simple idea. I mean, <laughs> it was, the, it's one of these really annoying things that like, uh, uh, you know, I spent, um, you know, I spent three years making flesh with, you know, with Native and like, that you know, huge amount of resources and effort put in their end, and you know, it, obviously, I mean, it, yeah, it, it's a, it's a great, it's a great product, and, and, and you know, loads of people did loads of really great work, great work on it, mm-hmm. um, and then I do, you know, this three day thing slow, and then you know, next day it's got hundred thousand views and like tens of thousands of downloads, and yeah, it's just like oh. you can't control really those, you can't control it, you can't control it, but it's a super gratifying to have that amount of. I, I think it's the beauty of a simple idea, isn't it? You have a yeah. simple idea that, yeah. that that is just one single thing, and it just resonates with people. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, definitely. It is a genius. So it's essentially you can play into it, and the reverb lasts for an exceptionally long time. Yeah, it's just a, the delays. I basically just, um, I mean, I did do quite a lot of like check, you know, tinkering around with with the algorithm, algorithm putting extra diffusers in and stuff like that. But then. I mean, the main thing is it just like, um, well, let's turn up the delay time, like multiply the delay times times ten, and and that's basically that's what what slow is, and and then I guess did a bit of like optimization around it, and you know made it sort of behave nicely ish. Yeah, it's really really cool. I someone opened up one of the old Lexicon reverb boxes, mm. or something like a big sort of eight unit rack thing. Yeah, and he opened it up to show me what it was, and it and it's. It's like loads of circuit boards that are all just delays. So each yeah. one's a tiny one. That one's a delay for very close, and then they sequentially just sort of longer and longer. Yeah. I was like, wow, is that how a hardware reverb, the old school hardware yeah. reverb, was made? It's just like loads of delay, like circuit boards in a row. Wow. So cool. Wow. Yeah. So you did. So you've done this slow. So that wasn't shed loads of anything, was it? No, that was just that was just slow. It was just slow. Right. Okay. It was slow. Cool. So then the other ones you've made are. Shed loads of oscillators. oscillators. Yeah. Which How do you... Anyway, sorry. This is, this is bad. No, oh, this is a really bad joke. I'm going to have to tell it now because I... Oh, God. Um, how, do you, how do you titillate an ocelot? I don't know. Oscillate it to titillot. <laughs> Anyways. Um, uh, you can cut that one out if you want. <laughs> we'll keep it in, whatever. I'll keep it in, of course. <laughs> So yeah, you did. You've you've shown um, Gaz Williams at Sonic State um, these oh, things. Sweet. So if anyone yeah. wants to see them, they can oh, check yeah. out their full features, and they yeah. are incredible. So so Slew was the sort of like shed loads of oscillators. Mm. So it's a lot of oscillators that are slightly detuned from each other. Well, they've got. I mean, it's it's more. I mean, there's loads of synths with loads of oscillators, um, but it's more how they work together. So everything. Um, everything is swarmed, so the oscillators are always swarmed. So that like the input is always monophonic, 
but then if you play polyphonically, you can kind of spread, you can swarm the oscillators across different keys. But I mean, it, it's a, it's just like a weirdo approach to synthesis, basically. <laughs> Um, and it allows you to get kind of quite dense sounds and it can be quite, you know, sort of enharmonic or, or it can be nicely harmonic and you get chords and, um, uh, and because every, all the parameters are, um, can be swarmed, including like the LFOs and, um, the LFOs and the filters and the FM stuff mm-hmm. can all be swarmed. So you can get quite, quite sort of rich, dense sounds. Um, out of it with you know with relatively little tweaking yeah I think that's what's great about it the, the GUI the, the visual the visual element to it is very simple and very like appealing it doesn't there's a lot of um, synths that can have you know a lot of visual information yeah. that can throw people a bit especially if they don't they know really what that is happening yeah. I think that's what's great about your stuff is that it's it's sort of very crystal clear but what's also good about it is is like pushing the boundaries of synthesis and what can be done. I think that's where you, you your strength is in your dynamism as a as a creator to to make those niche things and mm. to know that there's people that want that stuff, people that want to sort of yeah use that stuff too. So and yeah, and then you did the slaw, which is shadows yeah. of resonance. So, yeah, yeah, which is I mean, you know, I mean, it looks the same as slew. Um, and uh, it's basically like swapping out, you know, it swaps out the um, the oscillators for these resonators that uh, is a, it's a bit of DSP I've kind of been messing around with for um, well, over a decade. Over a decade! <laughs> um, but it's basically like these self-normalising delay lines. Um, so it's kind of a cross between a sort of granular thing and a delay line, but um, it's got like a sort of RMS detector, so... Mm-hmm. Um, it means that nothing you'll never um, it'll never die away and it'll never like get out of control Smash, it keeps yeah. everything yeah it keeps everything so you could which means that you can put anything you like in the feedback path um, so you put crazy um, you could crazy EQ boost you could put saturation frequency modulation um, or like other delay lines to, you know sort of to do sort of weird like kind of modal synthesis stuff mm-hmm. um, and and uh, it's actually, it's actually, um, there's something like that in Flesh. The Polysynth in Flesh uses a similar um, algorithm, but I just kind of like tweet, tweaked it a bit more, you know, did a bit more work on it, and and then and then sort of swapped out the engines and did, you know, a bit of other, a bit of other stuff to kind of get it to work nicely as as an effect. But that is a cool thing, just having having that limitation of being able to throw anything together in terms of like feedback and signal yeah. and knowing that it's not going to like go wild and blow speakers or yeah. blow your ears off. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's one of the, that, I mean, when it, when it comes to like engineering stuff that's good for improv, you, you need a lot of stuff like that, but you also need to know like when to deploy it and when to like just let, let things go out of control. Because I mean, part of the joy of improv is like things go out of control. Definitely, and it's that yeah. hitting that sweet spot between like okay we don't we don't want levels like um, popping way out and you know clipping um, nor do we want things like disappearing out nor do you want um, so when you're looping for example one of the things if you're keeping layering up loops you get to the mush point yeah uh, where nothing we've all, we've all been there we've all been to the mush point <laughs> yeah uh, and then you know what how do you deal how do you deal with the mush point um, and when you want to add, maybe you want you want to add new material. Then so, so you need kind of leveling stuff. So yeah, I've done. I mean, a lot of my 
kind of DSP research has been um, about stuff, yeah, the kind of level level management in in samples and you know algorithms for like how do you because um, I think I mean you can like you can take you can take the RMS of a sample. It's really easy to get the RMS of a sample. It's a simple bit of maths. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but you know the the RMS of something that has like a bunch of transients in and um, uh, compared to the amplitude. Let's say you've got you've got like a track that's just a drone and then you've got a track that's a drone with drums. Yeah. Um, obviously the track with the drone with drums will come out louder RMS wise, but in terms of like perceived level, you'd sort of want them to be um, treated as something similar. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? So you want, so you want to allow, you want to allow an affordance for like some transients to get through. So like, how do you, you know, how do you deal with that? You're making algorithms that are a bit more, a bit smarter with level detection and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I've got, just got a couple of questions to finish on. Yeah, if yeah. That's okay. Um, is this a quick fire round? <laughs> it, I, you know what? When I first started out, I really wanted to do that sort of thing and like yeah. throw in like, do you like hamsters or gerbils? But <laughs> a stupid idea. I'd probably go for hamsters, but anyway. <laughs> okay. Um, gerbils. Oh god. It's a know. tough one. <laughs> if you uh, if you were to make a manual for the flow machine, like if you were going to release it, Ooh. what would that manual look like? And how big would it be to, is in terms of instructions for it? How long with a manual for the flow machine? Well, okay. Let let's say let if we can exclude like install. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. and that's probably like a day's one to one tuition, <laughs> <laughs> or, or or like um, after that. Oh, manual for the flow machine. You can use I pictures. Reckon. You can use pictures. No problem. Yeah. Yeah. I reckon it would probably run to about about 100 pages maybe probably something like that yeah I think the beauty is in its simplicity what you've got there yeah I don't think it would be much more it's actually there's not that much going on yeah but what, the, the, the complexity that comes out is through um, the kind of resampling um, and yeah kind of looping resampling and relooping yeah and, and affecting stuff like that so I love that feature that you have where you've got your eight loops on the thing on the right hand side mm. and then you just like bounce them all and then that that's one new loop and you've got seven more spaces. Yeah, it's yeah, such a yeah. genius idea that because I think when you're making DSP things and you're making plugins, the temptation is always to go, Well, I could just make that sixteen loops, you know? Yeah, you've always got yeah, you haven't yeah, got yeah. the CPU limitations you used yeah. to have. But I think that's a brilliant piece, you know, an element of the software that you've made that's like, I've got these eight, these all work. Bang! That's one loop now, yeah. and now I've got space. Now you've got, more. yeah, yeah, very yeah. Good. It is, yeah. That's fine, and, that, and then you can like chisel away at those, and um, uh, yeah, iterative. It's kind of like iterative music making. Yeah, yeah. Like knowing when, knowing when a, a patch is finished and it's done. Mm. Yeah, uh, and then jamming it for a bit, maybe, and thinking, oh, it would be really good if you could do that bit backwards, or you know. Like, yeah, yeah add elements I, I do that all the time it's like difficult to know when you've actually finished a piece of software sometimes isn't it oh god yeah 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 well it's I mean it is kind of unending I think um, I've kind of resigned myself to the fact that the flow machine um, as, as it is is not it's never going to be a product I mean it's just 
uh, I've spent a lot of time thinking about how to make that into a product. I mean, you know, it's not to say that like the principles behind it could become a product, but like the flow machine itself, it's, it's never going to happen um, because it's, it's so all over the place. And, and, and so, yeah, it's just all over the place. Cause you sort of and, need and a evolving. MIDI keyboard and you need, what if you could build, let's say you're in a world where you can just build any hardware, however it looks, and it's got automated faders and things like that. Mm. You could build a piece of hardware that would have all oh, of totally. those functionalities, yeah, couldn't yeah. you? And, and maybe replace the MIDI keyboard with just buttons instead. Yeah, or I mean, just, or even just like a key bed. Just get a key bed. I don't know. But the thing is more, it's more, you know, because products have to have a certain amount of, um, I have finesse to them and to go through and really finesse the flow machine mm-hmm. well it just take forever <laughs> I think there's probably I don't know I reckon if I had if I had maybe a year or two clear I could like finesse the flow machine into something that would really be a product that that would you know all the bugs would be gone everything would sound nice all the all the sort of like edge case weird things would be ironed out mm-hmm um, and you know that the interface would be nice, but but even then, it's like it's two. It's now it's two reactor plugins running inside Plode Bidual, um, and with all this kind of like weird routing and half of it, you know, it's a bit too much for the USB bus sometimes. So occasionally things drop out, and it's just like it's yeah. I guess those things are part of its charm now a little bit. At how, you know, you've used it for you've jammed with it for so long like it's those those little things you just know and you deal with them and you've yeah. oh, done that thing again it's okay I'll yeah. just go over here yeah 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 yeah, yeah it is yeah it's really like that yeah, yeah. cool it's yeah. a great it's a great machine and I've sort of watched the development of it as a punter right and it's been great yeah it's been really great to see that and yeah so you see you still to, you know still using it and, and, and showing people it and demoing it yeah it's still I mean you know I, I don't get that much time to kind of play out these days but I still I still noodle around on it and um, I've been kind of posting these little videos to Instagram at the moment which are not they're not really live videos it's kind of like getting a loop going and then just like posting a video of that loop mm-hmm. um, uh, you know little moments yeah I think those are great because you get a little insight into your world then you get a right. little but in, enough of it to not be enough <laughs> enough for it not to be enough yeah 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 <laughs> does that make sense yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah i know what you mean yeah for sure mm-hmm. um what about what about something that's sort of aside from music that like lifts your spirits and takes you to some you know uh like a place away from music that you like going to yeah well i mean the you know my buddhist practice um that sort of came into my life what, about seven years ago now. Um, I mean, I'm big, I'm big, you know, I'm, I'm quite a navel gazer. Um, and, uh, you know, so I've done all, uh, lots of, lots of stuff over the years. I mean, I've had what, about four different therapists and, you know, for, for di- very, varying different lengths of time. And, um, you know, obviously Buddhist practice, uh, going on retreats, silent retreats, you know, helping out, with the community um and and then and then yeah i had this kind of big burnout in summer last year just crazy amounts of stuff going you know trying to run the plug-in label and launching products and then you know doing this new um this new project which is just crazy um and 
and that was that was when I kind of realised that I've I've got sort of an unhealthy relationship, well, quite a sort of addictive relationship to kind of busyness and um, success, and then you know, trying to take things on, trying to muscle things out. So actually, I've been um, doing quite a lot of twelve step recovery stuff, um, but not for you know, not like alcoholism or mm-hmm. drugs, but there are other there are other fellowships like um, Workaholics Anonymous and. Um, other fellowships around money and so on that, that take the same approach. Yeah, like absolutely. trying to kind of, you know, identify unhelpful behaviours really and unmanageable behaviours that you're powerless over that you, you just compulsively get back in. You know, I, I mean, the thing that I struggle with is like compulsively getting back and getting like burnt out or just like going crazy with stuff and then like it all gets too much. And mm-hmm. So, so that, but yeah, that kind of stuff. But then... In a way, well, that you know, that does bring that does bring serenity. Um, the one thing that I have that I'm beginning to learn that I'm really shit at is uh, taking holidays and actually just enjoying myself. Because yeah. I've sold yeah. I've sold my biggest hobby up the stream, you know. <laughs> so, so even when I'm just messing around making music, I've always got a little antenna out going like, "Ooh, can this be a product? Can this be an album? Can this be a piece of software? Whatever." So. Yeah, I'm actually really shit at just enjoying myself for the sake of enjoying myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's something I really need to learn because, uh, yeah, I just need to like learn to be a normal human <laughs> rather than trying to be a freaking superhero all the time. I think we all do. That's definitely yeah. something everyone's trying to be. I don't know. I don't, I don't know whether it's an, like the influence of social media or, or, mm. or something else that's happening in society. But yeah, everyone's trying to be like, the biggest, the best, the 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 maximize their potential in every moment, and that's quite a lot of pressure, isn't it? You know, oh God, it's that you put oh, on yourself. It's insipid. It's hard. Yeah, I, I yeah. I mean, I you know, from you know, going through this whole like being a founder thing, and you know, listening to these podcast, these sort of motivational podcasts, like how to do this and how to do that. Um, there's so much bravado and so much machoism in it, and and it's really. It's really unhelpful. I mean, there are very few sort of Elon Musk's and Steve Jobs and, and so on, and uh, and that's just that's just how it is. Like you're not, if you're not that type of person, you're not that type of person. Yeah, that is how it is. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. and if you if you if you try to be, you're just going to tie yourself in knots. Definitely, definitely. Um, and I think, although on the flip side, I do see a lot of stuff, a lot more being said these days sort of in the Twitter sphere about like self-care and so on and that's that's really encouraging and obviously you know kind of mindfulness is yeah. a very big thing nowadays so I think I think it's definitely like shoots of promise mm. um, you know in terms of people actually being realistic about what you know what human life can look like or um you know, the human life is just going to have ups and downs and peaks and troughs and, you, you know, you don't... It's just unrealistic to be, like, an ubermensch all the time. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that, yeah, it's like embracing the reality of, mm. of life and, yeah, that's... Uh, yeah, it's not like... I mean, you know, Facebook is the classic example of, like, somebody just being their own PR machine, essentially, for their, yeah. for their personality. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I can't. I can't do it anymore. I find, <laughs> I've really, I've really dialed back my social media. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, yeah, I think that's a very good decision. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's also in a way because I'm, I'm still in, I'm still in kind of, um, uh, well, not in hibernation mode, but there's, there's not much. You know, this project is just massive, and you know, ninety five percent of my time is going into that, so I don't really have that much to talk about mm-hmm. either, which, which, um, which adds to it. But in terms of the whole. I mean, around, like around the release of Flesh, um, I hired a PR um, person to kind of do a bit more of a, a kind of, st- you know, story around around it. And, um, you know, she was really, she was really great. She tried really hard. I mean, uh, she, you know, tried really hard to kind of get stories. I think it was, ultimately, it just wasn't really a crossover story. It was just like, oh, it's a plugin for people who make music and it's quite nerdy. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh but but anyway, I mean, you know, she was saying you need to be do- you need to be posting on Facebook once every three days. You need to post on Twitter once a day at least, one two or three times a day, and on Instagram, um, and then you need to be sent doing a mailer like once a month. And I'm just like, <sighs> no, <laughs> I mean, you know, I, you definitely, I definitely, no- I definitely notice that there there's an effect. Like I don't. You know, there was a time when I was just like up in everyone's feeds all the time, and you do notice that you know your follower numbers go up. Mm-hmm. Um, it's weird, that isn't it? Mm. It's like a compulsion thing because you realise that the more you put into it, the more you you're getting back from it. Yeah. So you're feeding the machine all the time. Yeah, but you've got you've got to step you've got to step out of it. I, I think um, you know if you've got if you're working on good things and you've and good things take time. Um, and you know, if you're as a, as a, as a human, you know, and just as a, on a very human level, if you're going to survive that process, then you need to, you need to take the slow path. Mm-hmm. You need to allow for like just all the, you know, life just throws shit at you. And that's how, that's how life is. And, and, and to be trying to run this, yeah, this massive sort of PR department, um, that's basically trying to convince everyone else otherwise to the detriment of everyone's yeah. well-being, really. Exactly. That's that's a good point, isn't it? It's like it's bad for other people to see that you're living this yeah. plastic life of happiness. Yeah, and you're looking at it going, "That's not really my life," as well. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> a and, very good point. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. The, the the interesting thing about doing these podcasts, though, is that everyone is has a a, a view on social media, and you know, right. is is like. It's don't know if it's good anymore. You know, yeah. like everyone I spoke to literally, it, it's it's come to a thing where I almost think I need to do a podcast on social media. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, yeah, yeah, it's a very powerful thing, isn't it? And it's yeah. sort of changed. Well, I think that I mean, I, I think you know the original dream of social media that was going to bring us close together, close together, has turned out to be like completely false. Yeah, and it's actually taken us further apart because. Because now is it? Yeah, it's basically a bunch of these like avatars. We are we 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 operate these avatars of, of basically our our own sort of fears and projections about like who we ought to be. Yeah, and it's a bunch of it's a bunch of people like trying to be who they think they ought to be, um, fueling this whole fire of like anxiety and sense of like social inadequacy and and yeah. it's, uh, so our time gets sucked into our phones. Um, and and the and the internet and and it doesn't bring people together in real spaces and and that's 
Absolutely, yeah. The, the like the connection you have when you're with someone in in real life and and something happens and it's great and you enjoy that moment is so far from that happening on the internet, isn't it? Yeah. That yeah, it's like feelings and sensations are going to change because of 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 this of of those sorts of communications. Yeah, it's interesting, but technology is what I guess what makes music so brilliant and makes out your work so brilliant and <laughs> Well, it's all, I mean, it's all, it's use of technology. I mean, I think, um, I mean, social, the, the, the technology of social media and, you know, the idea of like real-time communication, um, the idea of like, you know, connecting people is potentially very um, liberating uh, and can potentially bring a huge amount of value to the world. And it's just how that technology is deployed and probably more to the point, like why? Like, why is that technology being deployed? Um, in the case of social media, it's just like, it's very much, you know, we capture your attention, then we sell it on to advertisers, um, mm. which is, you know, it was never going to work. <laughs> it was never going to, because the dream was just like, that it was sold as like, we'll bring you close together, but the actual product, but you know, you, the whole thing, like you're the product and you're being, your attention is being sold. So it, it's really, uh, you know, it's just, it's quite morally corrupt. Absolutely, yeah. Idea, but really, really, really. this, the, you know, the idea of like connecting people over the internet and allowing people to perform communities over the internet is totally not morally corrupt. I mean, that 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 could be a very very powerful thing. And there, are, you know, there are communities. I mean, I mean, you know, forums like PHP bulletin forums, mm-hmm. which are sort of dying a bit of a death now. But um, some of those places are really good, genuine communities that people people who sort of met and got together online um, who then formed offline communities that had like real genuine meaningful human connections definitely um, and, and forums are very supportive places as well you know if mm. you need help with things there's always people that are mm. that are willing to uh, yeah help you out with your questions I, th- I find reddit's very good for that and like, I mm. chip in on reddit too because there's people that are just starting out with synths and they don't know what to buy or they don't mm. know which one's good and yeah, that's that's quite a supportive a supportive thing. Thank you, thank you very much for talking to me. It's oh, it's absolutely a pleasure. Yeah, thanks for listening. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, and I look forward to this great big new project. That, yeah, that's me be too. Happening. God, me too. Is yeah. there? Do you have any penciled in date of something to be shown? Um, I've got dates I'm aiming for, but I mean, I I I wouldn't from past experience. I would be foolish to. Uh, uh, say that uh, mention those in a public forum yeah yeah <laughs> yeah like yeah <laughs> cool well, i look forward to it i'm sure it's going to be amazing well let's see yeah i i, I think it's going to be i'm really yeah i'm really into it i think well thank you very much for cool thank you yeah tim exile there uh what a wonderful chat um that was um he's such an incredible man he's very inspirational uh, for a lot of people certainly for me really has been at the forefront of music technology and improv performance and uh, pushing the boundaries of software which, which I absolutely love. Great, next month I'm speaking to someone who works in community music which is um, very much an unknown art form and uh, it's hugely beneficial to society. It's incredibly uh, rewarding work, it can be incredibly challenging work too. 
but it's going to be brilliant to shed a bit of light on the community music scene. And so next month I'm speaking to a lady who works at an incredible company based in the South of England. Thank you very much for listening. My name's Midiera. This is Midiera Mix Podcast. I'll see you soon.